If you have a Bible, let's open together to the book of Psalms, and I want to look with you this morning at Psalm 139. I've been grateful this summer to be across the other campuses to preach in Thornton and Erie, and uh, to know that the pulpit was handled here by so many different people who came in. I've missed being here, and I'm looking forward to the next stretch of being with you this morning in the book of Psalms, and then beginning next week, we're going to study the book of Hebrews together. And it will be a 14 or 15 week series called Greater Than the Exaltation of Christ in the book of Hebrews. That begins next week. It's not a market up series, so you won't get a journal because you need your big Bible for this series. Uh, too many Old Testament references, but the book of Hebrews is a complex book that points to the glory of Christ as being greater than anything that has preceded Him or ever will be. Christ is greater. And so we're going to look at that, and we pray it will lead us to be a Christ-centered community of people as we study that book together. So bring your Bible next week. We'll be in the book of Hebrews, but today we're going to be in Psalm 139. We're in Psalm 139 because it's been on my heart that the world is in trouble. The world is in trouble in Afghanistan and Haiti. This morning in New England, a hurricane's bearing down, and, and all of the travails of the last year and a half have led people to despair, to be in trouble. We all have pain in our lives. I have it in mine. You have it in yours. Things never work out exactly as we dream and we imagine and we go through these difficult circumstances that rattle our faith. Any of you had your faith rattled in the last year and a half? Any despairing experiences? Isn't it awesome to be able to turn to the Word of God and to say, what have people of faith that we would look to as the heroes of our faith clung to in times of difficulty? Psalm 139 is the Psalm of David. You say, well, David was a king. He had it well. Well, he was a shepherd boy, and while he was a shepherd, he had to do battle with a lion and a bear, and he killed them both, and then he was called in to do battle against Goliath. And then he became king, and he had his own set of failures that led him into a ruinous time in his life of a moral failure. And then it so corrupted his own family household that his own son wanted to kill him. And that's the man who wrote this psalm. So just think about your problems, and I don't underestimate that there may be great, but you're listening to someone who walked with God so closely in the most difficult of circumstances and wrote these words, and they became for him the identification of his life with God. What did David know that you must know today for what you're going to face in the coming year? Whether you're a college student going back to school or you're starting a class again in fifth grade or fourth grade or seventh grade or you're starting eighth grade or you're going to be a senior or you're starting a new career, it doesn't matter. What did David know that helped him face all the challenges of his life. As I've been with you in a lot of experiences in the last year, my heart is ached of the pain that is real in the congregational life of Calvary. 
here and in the other campuses. The weights that people bear are awesome. So what do we need to know? I think it's wrapped up in this psalm. And the first thing I want you to sort of write down, if you're writing it down, is something that you can know for sure. And that is that when it comes to God's relationship to His people, He knows everything about us. Is that good news? Eh. Let's read the text. Let's read the text. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind, before, and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Remember that the genre of the Psalms is poetry. So what David is doing in poetic language is underscoring the theological reality of the omniscience of God. God knows everything. And to David, this is a comforting thought. I know what you're thinking. I think it too. If I say, well, God knows everything, we say, He does? He does. But let's not go there yet. Let's think first of all of how this is comforting to David that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Or in Proverbs 15, 13, the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. The Lord knows everything about us. In verse 2, David says, you know when I sit down, when I rise up, when I, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path, you know when I lie, I'm lying down, you're acquainted with everything about me. Just let that sink in for a minute. That the omniscience of God implies that He knows everything about every circumstance of every part of our life. Even when we speak a word, God hears it, and before it comes out of our mouth, He knew what we were going to say. He hems us in. He's before us, behind us, around us, all surrounding everything about us, and His hand is on us because of our relationship with Him. And He just says, this is too wonderful. I cannot attain it. Now, let's be honest. If I said God knew everything about us, our first tendency is to say, uh-oh, But that's not what a person of faith says. A person of faith says, great, God knows every part of my circumstance, my challenges, He knows my sadness, my anxiety, He knows my worry, He knows my excitement, He knows what makes me jazzed up, He knows everything about every circumstance that I'm in, including everything that I'm anticipating, He knows that. He knows my frame. That I am like dust. Uh, 
And my life is like the grass that rises up and then it withers and it passes away. But he knows all about that. He knows our weaknesses, our doubts, our failures, our sins. And he welcomes us. You believe that? I want you to think, those of you who know, in your mind, the Bible story of the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria. He goes through Samaria, and he ends up at a well, and there at a well, in the middle of the day, an unusual time, he meets a woman. And the woman is there at that time, so she won't have to face the others who would give her scorn for her life failures. Jesus meets her, and his reaction to her is very different. He says to her in John chapter 4, verse 16, go and call your husband and come back here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And we would all say, she's toast. But that's not what Jesus does. He says to her, the Father is seeking you to be a worshiper. He's after you. What does he know? He knows everything about you. He knows your first husband, your second husband, your third husband, your fourth husband, your fifth husband, and the man that you're with now. He knows that. And he is seeking worshipers who in brokenness will come to him and say, you know everything about me. No sense hiding. Here I am. I come to you. And she later says to her friends, if you thought, wow, she went away so guilt-stricken, she didn't. She saw the Son of God, Jesus Christ, face-to-face with her failures, and what she left that place was to go back to her village and say to everyone there, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Everybody said, what? Yes, he is. He is the Messiah. He sees everything about you, and he wants you to come to him. I don't know whether you are comfortable with the idea that he knows everything about you or not, but he wants you to move closer to him, not further away. He wants you to come disclose yourself to him, not try to keep hiding. Have you been hiding, trying to keep secrets from God? You know, I guess I would just say, stop. It doesn't make sense. Why? Because he knows everything about you already. The better response is to say, God, I know you know who I am. You know everything about me. You got your Bible? Let me, let me give you one hint in, in Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 for just one second. I'll give you a, a sneak peek in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, 
and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 is sort of a frightening verse if you just read it by itself because it says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Scary? Yeah, kind of. No creature is hidden from his sight. But what's the next verse? Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let's hold on to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what should we do? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what, everybody? Mercy. You say, God sees everything about me. Yeah, but what does he want to give you? Answer, mercy. You could say he knows everything about me and I'm scared. And you wouldn't know everything about him yet. He sees you as you are but he welcomes you and let's draw near and find grace to help in our time of need. I want to encourage you this morning, if you've been away from Jesus, if you've been far from God and you've been trying to hide, what a great morning this would be for you to take a step closer. I especially am concerned about the young adults in our community who maybe heard Asterix say this morning, never compromise with the world, just because everybody's doing it. No, 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 no. Stay pure. Follow Jesus. Keep going. Keep the faith. I want to encourage you, come near to the one who already knows everything about you. It's safe. It's not safe to hide. Any questions? That's number one. David knew that. And he had his own failures. Moral failures, leadership failures. He had his failures. But he knew this about God. And what this says is God knew everything about him. It's poetry about his omniscience. Secondly, beginning in verse 7, we would say, I know for sure that he is always with us. Always with us. Verse 7, David writes, where shall I go from your spirit? Where could I go to be away from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say... Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be as night. Even in the darkness, it's not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. That's poetry about omnipresence. God is everywhere present, 
in the most poetic way, east, west, north, south, sea, desert, wherever I go in the best of life, if I go to the grave, there I know I'm not outside the presence of God. Where can I go from your presence? There's no experience that you're going to go through this year, wherever you go, that God is not there. This is especially true for someone, um, I mean, just generally it speaks of God's presence everywhere, but for the child of God who is trusted in Jesus, He comes to dwell in us and to give to us His Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you are indwelt by the Spirit of God whom you have from God? You are not your own, therefore glorify God in your body. He dwells in you. The temple of God is your body in a sense. So that Jesus could say, I'll never leave you and forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm in you. I'm with you. Nothing you'll go through this year will be outside of his presence. Again, is that good news? Yeah. It was the motivation for the Apostle Paul to say to the Corinthians, who lived in a very immoral culture, Why would you join yourself to a harlot, to a prostitute? Why would you do that? God is in you. Can, can you separate God in you from immorality? Don't you know His presence is designed to have a sanctifying effect, a holiness effect in you? God is with you in that moment. That's sort of convicting, and at the same time, His presence with us in every circumstance is, is an encouragement for the dark times. He gives His Holy Spirit as a comforter and a helper, the indwelling ministry of God. You are the temple. Reminded me of a story when our kids were younger, uh, just about the age where we could go away for an hour or two and leave them at home. Any good stories about that? I remember coming home one time and Lucy and I came into the house and there was something, big activity upstairs in the upstairs bathroom and we went up there and there's water everywhere, you know, it's like crazy. And we said, like, why, why are you doing this? And it was a beautiful answer. We didn't think you'd be home yet. <laughs> I, I love the honesty of it. I, 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 we didn't think you'd be home yet. And like there's never a time where you could say, God, I didn't think you'd be here yet. Because he's always with us. And again, that's not meant to be like a, ah. It's meant to be a, ah. God is with us. So why should I do this when he is here and he draws me in. The person of faith in difficult times know is that God is with us in every circumstance. And if God is with us, everybody? Yeah, I love it. I love that you know that. Who could be against us? God's with us. Who could be against us? That's what David knew for sure. Third, so you know he knows everything about you. He's always with us. He knows everything about us. He's always with us. And third, 
He really did create us for His purposes. He created us for His purposes. Again, look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there, were, there was not one of them. I look at those four verses together, and what I see is that God created David, and David acknowledged that God was the one who knit him together in his mother's womb, and affirms in the Scriptures that all human life is a creation of God in the womb, a gift of God that he knits together in his intricate work. And David just says poetically, my very being is the result of God's creative work in the biological process of reproduction so that in a womb, God creates a life. And there it is, a life Not a choice to be eliminated, but a life to be lived for the glory of God. David just says, my life is the creation of God. He gives life, and he gives it on purpose. I praise you, verse 14 says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I wonder if I could stop and say, do you have any insecurities about yourself? One of the things that would help you a lot is if, you, if we would just say to ourselves, and I have to do it in my own heart, God, you created me, you made me, and you made me in your image as you wanted. That creates a lot of security, a lot of sense of, okay, maybe this isn't the way I would have made myself. I would have been 6'2". But this is what God did. And what does my heart say? You knit me together in my mother's womb. You made me fearfully, wonderfully. You created me. And I'm who you made me to be. My mission is to figure out God's purpose in my life and to live it to the fullest. David knew that. Do you think David ever had any second guessing of himself when he... He uh, had to go out and face Goliath, and they said, here, put this on. This will help you. They put on this big armor, and it's like, whoa, that won't work. That's not me. That doesn't fit. What do I have to do? I have to just be skinny little me with this sling and these little stones. And is that going to be good enough? It's good enough if God's in it. Are you good enough for God to use for his purposes? It's good enough if you're resting in him. When you can say without question in your own heart, God created me for His purposes, help me to know what that purpose is, you're understanding something that will give you a sense of identity and security that we absolutely need today in our life. 
My soul knows that I was created for God and for something greater than myself. Everybody today is telling you that you need to go figure out your purpose, go live for yourself, gain the most that you can. You know, what is the vision that people are giving you for your life? Could I call you back to the scriptures and say the purpose of your life is to understand that God knows everything about you, that he's always with you, that he did create you by his own doing for his purposes, and your mission is to just say, God, help me fulfill the purpose that you have for my life and live a purpose-driven life. I'm going to write a book that way. (laughs) Help me to live for your purpose in my life. You say, well, how do I figure out my purpose? You can begin by just saying, God, I know you know me, and so here I am. God, I know you're always with me, so help me to follow you. God, I know you made me for your purposes, so just help me today to do the things that would honor you most. Earlier this summer, we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says, we who have been saved by Christ, are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He made us to do the things that He would do if He were here in the world, doing good and following Him. You were created with a purpose, and it's really important that you know that. I just give you these three simple principles this morning with the prayer that it It grounds our congregation and everyone who's feeling a little bit insecure about their own personal life. I'm not sure who I am or why I'm here. That you could cling to these three things and ground your life on these things and you will have a sense of, okay God, I don't know everything about my future, but I know you're with me. I know you know everything about me and I know you have a plan for my life. I'm going to try to follow it. After a couple verses around an imprecatory prayer that he would eliminate his enemies, David comes to the conclusion in verse 23 and 24, which I would say is our only response to this. And here it is. Our only response. Let's read it out loud together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. That's how he sums it up. If it's true that you know me, if it's true that you're always with me, if you're true you created me in my mother's room for purposes that you know, then Lord, search me. Just take a look at me. And I want you to say this to God this morning too. You read it out loud, but... How about now you just kind of look back at those words again and say, Lord, I really want to say this to you. Search me. Could you say that to God? God, you who know everything, you who are right here with me today, I want you to look inside my heart. Search me. You know it. Know it now. Help me to know what you know. Try my thoughts, my motives, everything about me. Is there anything in me that is grievous to you? Is there anything in me that doesn't align with your purpose for my life? Is there anything in me that has been impure 
unkind, unrighteous. Deal with it. Forgive me. And lead me in the everlasting way. It's a serious thing to say to God, put the light right here. Let me know how I really am. And we're delusional. We're um, self-deceived. We need God to shine the light on us. Do you like to go to the doctor? I generally don't. I prefer to put it off. Some of you know I had a little medical episode a couple weeks ago. Three weeks ago I fainted uh, for no apparent reason and fell over in my kitchen. And I went to the hospital for a day and a half and um, had a whole battery of tests done, which I didn't really want. But it turns out everything between here and here is normal and good. It never got to this, so we're we're, going to do that later. But I don't know why I fainted, but at the end of that episode, I felt kind of good that I had a report that said, I'm generally healthy in all my organs, blood work. In fact, the person in the emergency room said I had the blood work of a 25-year-old, so there. (laughs) But still, I fainted for some reason (laughs) that I don't know. And um, when I fell over, I dislocated some ribs, and that was the worst problem. Anyway, when you go to the doctor, the whole plan is to say, what's really going on in there? And sometimes you got to get a look with the doctor at what's going on in there to say there really is something in there that needs your attention. What David's really saying here is we invite God to be the unbiased, undeceived searchlight of what's real in us. And we just say, will you show us? What do I need to learn about me? That I can live out my life in the fullest way, living in the reality that you know everything about me and you welcome me. You're always with me, so I don't need to fear. And you created me for your purposes, and I really want to live for your glory. Could you say that? I want to call our church to be this kind of church so rooted in these truths that we live in the reality of this. So everything about our life points to God's glory. You with me on that? I want to lead us in a quiet prayer and maybe we would just say this together in our hearts to God and say, um, lead us. Lead us to know what we need to turn from. Lead us to know what we need to cling to and help us to to shape our lives in the coming year grounded in these truths that for us become a security on how to live well in a world that's very confused and very troubled. And then we're going to sing to God be the glory. Okay, so let's pray. Just in your own words, 
could you say to God, search my heart, God, what, is there anything in me that needs to change? Is there anything in me, Lord, you need to do business with? Because I want to be, I want to be yours. I pray for anybody who's been concerned that you've been unaware of the things going on in their life and their troubles have led them to say, where's God? Lord, I pray you'll anchor their hearts in the reality that you know what's going on for them. Anybody who's been lonely and alone, Lord, I pray you'll just whisper to their hearts, I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And give them faith to believe it. And for anybody who's been struggling just with a sense of purposelessness, not sure why I'm even alive, I pray that, God, you just call them. Let them hear your voice to say, come to me. And give them a sense of purpose for life. We want to be led by you in the everlasting way, the way to godliness, the way to eternal life. So we just ask God, come and speak to us. We want our lives to be for your glory. I ask for your uniting Holy Spirit to strengthen us as a church to be a God-exalting church, a Christ-centered church, active in the world until all the world knows that you're the God who knows. You're the God who's there, and you're the God who has a purpose to give eternal life and meaning and help to those in need. This is what we pray for together in Jesus' name. Amen.